Have you been the victim of unfair treatment by a business or a corporation? Has this ever happened to you? We'll be the baby of the year. Hello and happy... Friday or whatever day this is that you're listening. This is the Turbo Team Podcast. As always, I'm Jake Brand, and we've got Ben Neeson and Alex Powell with me today. Just about one month of school left, I guess for me. I don't know when you guys come back, but we're looking forward to being in person soon. But before that, we're, we are wrapping up our eighth Oscar movie review out of nine. We'll finish it up last week with Anthony Hopkins and The Father. But before we get into that, We'll do some introductions. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm hanging out, man. How about you? Oh, I'm just hanging out, too. Is Ben hanging out in the falls? I'm uh, Alex's bio just uh, chilling right now. Is that your, still your bio? Or is it just chilling? Or is it actually just the word chilling? My, uh, my Tinder bio is just the word chilling. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, we are all... Just chilling on this fine Thursday night in March. We'll have a what we watched in March coming up next week. But this week we're going to be reviewing Marini's Black Bottom, a 2020 film directed by George C. Wolfe, starring Chadwick Boseman, Bill Davis, Taylor Page, and Glenn Turman. Produced by Denzel Washington. Yeah, produced by Denzel Washington too. I saw that. But first, we'd like to thank our presenting sponsor, the Thrive Fantasy app. Thrive Fantasy has all of your DFS and esports gambling wants. Be sure to use promo code around at sign up and receive a deposit bonus of up to $50. Again, for first time users, be sure to use promo code around at sign up and Thrive will match any deposit up to $50. We want to thank our presenting sponsor of the Thrive Fantasy of the Turbo Team Podcast, Thrive Fantasy. Thank you for supporting the Turbo Team Podcast. But with that, we are going to get right into our review of Marini's Black Bottom. Ben is going to give his synopsis, and then Alex is going to take us through the award nominations it got for the upcoming Oscars. Ben, take it away. Well, this is the shortest synopsis I've ever not written, but Marini's Black Bottom takes place during a recording session where tensions rise between Marini, her ambitious horn player, and the white management determined to control the uncontrollable mother of the blues. Yeah, it's pretty hard to... Explain that movie if you haven't seen it, just because it is based off of such a specific event in time and history. So if you haven't watched the movie, just watch it before you listen to this episode. There it's a very it's based off of a very conversationally driven play that takes there's place within really, like two rooms. So Yeah, there's not really a big plot to it necessarily. It's more just kind of a, a storytelling. But Alex, do you want to take us through the awards that this movie was nominated for in the last couple of weeks for the Oscars? Yeah, it was nominated for a couple, Chadwick Boseman and uh, uh, Viola Davis were both nominated for uh, Actor and Actress in a Leading Role. Um, it was nominated also for Best Costume Design, uh, Makeup and Hairstyling, surprisingly not Music. Um, also, it did not get a Best Picture nomination, which I know we were all kind of surprised about. It did get nominated for Production Design. And there was one more. Uh... Nope, that's it. Okay. So production design, costume design. uh, And then 
actor and actress and costume and costume design and actor and actress in a leading role. So if I had to guess this was probably the tenth movie. Because I know that it was like on a lot of people's predictions for getting a best picture nom. So if I had to guess it was right on the fence. And so just, out. just looking at the best picture nominees, uh if I can find it real quick. It's Best Picture nominees are The Father, which we'll review next week, Juice and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Women, Sentimental, Trailer Chicago 7. I think the only one I would take off this list and replace would be Mank. But a lot of people loved Mank. I think I was in the minority that didn't like it. So, and I don't know how the I I don't, I don't know how I'm gonna like the father. So as of now, I think I, I think the list is pretty fair. Um, also, Mank is name recognition with Fincher and Gary Oldman and Amanda Seyfried. So, not if that it was about if it was about name recognition, then um, Christopher Nolan would have gotten nods. Yeah, but people hated Tenet because it made them think too much. Okay, whatever. Yeah, people hate thinking. But anyways. Well, Ben, do you want to be the first to review this one? Because I know that you have probably the most experience with it because I know you watched or you read the the play in a class last semester, right? That was this semester, actually. Oh, geez. Believe it or not, um, I don't know, about mid-early February, yeah. Um, I'm taking a jazz and film and literature class. That's been fantastic. And uh, we, yeah, we read the... We read the play, discussed it, wrote a paper on it. We watched the film, discussed it, and wrote a paper on it. So um, for a good two weeks, I was very enveloped in a conversation having about this film. That's not a word. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it really transfers well from the medium from play to movie. But going off of just the movie, I thought that it still kept your attention exceptionally well for barely expanding over to like scenes basically or two actual stages and the performances are amazing. I mean, um, Viola Davis, Chadwick Boseman and Coleman. I can't think of his last name. Coleman Domingo all kill it. And it's all very well put on and yeah, uh, just solid, amazing film um, has lots of interesting discussions and topics that we can get to into a sec, but yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, so this was one of those movies that, so I watched it like the day it came out back in December. I think it was when I was in quarantine, but it's one of those movies that kind of caught me off guard as far as it wasn't on my radar necessarily coming into 2020. So I think in August or September when I discovered it, I was really thrilled to see another performance for Chadwick Boseman just before, I guess we really say our goodbye to him because... If we're being honest, we reviewed it. Five Bloods was not very good. So, and Chadwick was good in that movie, but to see him have a role like this in his actual last role before, I guess, before he passed away, I think it was really cool because he was insanely good in this movie. And I think, I can't say it yet because we, we haven't seen The Father, but he's my favorite for best um, male actor in a lead to this point just with his uh his dialogue about his mother getting raped and his dad killing them or killing four of them and then getting burned at the stake like that monologue when i rewatched it today i went back rewinded it two different times to watch it again just because it was that good of a performance the, there's not too many actors in the world that could do that so that that's my biggest takeaway from the movie is 
Chadwick Boseman was incredible, but I'll get into some more of that in a bit. Uh, I, I guess it's my turn. So before I go on, I just want to give a quick um, rest in peace to Jessica Walter, otherwise known as Lucille Booth off Arrested Development, passed away today. Uh, very, uh, very influential person in Hollywood. Actually, she was going through a very rough time with the media after accusing um, whatever the dad in Arrested Development is of uh like jeffrey timber jeffrey timber of like uh it's like verbal abuse or something unless that arrest development so um great woman great actor great person rest in peace uh jessica walter so i want to start by that but anyway on the monorail black bottom uh i thought it was okay i definitely this was based off a play i enjoyed that instead of making a movie based off a play they made essentially a play for the big screen you know it very much felt like a play these are all good actors in this movie and but they almost they had that quality of acting that you only see in like a live play production. I it, I think it really worked in this. Um, it definitely played off like a play in a good way. Um, I, so I really enjoyed that. I know the music wasn't like new or original, but I thought the music in it worked. Like whenever a character would go on a, mile, a monologue, you would hear the faint music in the background. It really worked. The one scene with uh, Toledo when he's sitting at the. Uh, piano and talking about how black people in america are just leftovers i thought that was incredible honestly that might have been better to me than the chadwick monologue really personally i think that was a lot deeper i didn't think that it was played up with emotion for a specific reason it felt a lot more real to me Hmm. um so i know jake said chadwick uh is probably his best actor this year without having seen The Father, uh, and I think, Ben, you would agree with that. Personally, after watching this, I still think Riz Ahmed's the best uh, actor in a leading role this year for Sound of Metal, which we reviewed. Check it out. Um, And I I think watching that monologue from Chadwick, it's very easy to get caught up and be like, wow, this is incredible. But, you know, that's one monologue, and it's like five minutes of an hour-and-a-half movie, you know? I'm not saying he's bad in the other, you know, hour 25 but we can't give him a lead actor or a best actor nomination just off one really good monologue. It was a good monologue. I'll give it that incredible story, incredibly storytelling by Chadwick. Um, but I'm not ready to hand him the Oscar just because he had one good monologue. You know, I felt Riz Ahmed really portrayed this, uh, this character on film that we don't really see a whole lot. It's a guy going death, really having to cope with that. While I felt like uh, Levy, is his name Levy? Levy. I felt yeah. like Levy's character was just a very mentally unstable person, and we just kind of see his mental uh, instability throughout the screen, which, like, I, I couldn't do it. You know, Chadwick's an incredible act. He was an incredible actor, rest in peace. Um, I think he's going to get it just because he did die. This is his last role, and it was a good performance. So I think he is going to get it just based off that. I think Riz Ahmed had the better performance, but that's just me. Um, as far as the movie goes, I enjoyed it. Um, still, it's probably not top five of the year for me um but it was a, it's an enjoyable film there's definitely a set audience for this that i think will watch this and just absolutely love it you know there's definitely an audience for this film i think it tackles a lot of topics like uh i think it's based in like what the 30s 40s whatever 20s 20s so you know when you know african americans weren't seeing the great light in the american public they still were trying to gain their um own rights in america and I thought Viola Davis was really good in this too. I hated her character, which makes it to me a good performance. Also, Ma Rainey was a child groomer. That kid, like she, Ma Rainey, a, 
She wasn't a child. How old was that girl, do you think? She couldn't I don't be know, 16, age. 18. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And Ma Rainey was what, it's fucking the... mid-50s, 40s? Yeah, yeah. Also, the lady, I actually found this while looking at through just the cast and stuff. So Ma Rainey, whoever wrote the Ma Rainey's play, they wrote 10 plays. Ma Rainey is the only character uh, part of the LGBTQ community. She's the only character in all of 10 of her plays. She's the only um, LGBTQ LGBTQ character, which makes sense because that scene in the beginning when Ma was like kind of hugging her really tightly, I was like, what the hell is this, man? Come to find out that was her uh, girlfriend or child bride or something. I don't know. No, Uh, dude, it's because it's it's factually accurate. Ma Rainey was a real person and Ma Rainey really was a lesbian. Yeah, I know. So that was accurate and true to the person. I know. And the girl was very, there's a huge age gap in between them, so. Yeah. So that weird stuff I'm going to go back on a point and just play devil's advocate. Obviously all this is subjective and it it's just personal preference or whatever. But when we're talking about a uh, best male actor in a lead role, I think that you have to have just overall, just a, obviously a very, very good performance, which I think Riz Ahmed and Chadwick both have without a doubt. I think they're, so far for me, my top two, but for me, I didn't mean like, oh, Chadwick's monologue was the only good part of the movie he had. It meant it meant more like yes. that was his moment. That was yeah. that like stood above the others. That was his Oscar moment. Yeah, yeah. I just he think I it throughout. Yeah, I, he was incredible throughout the movie. But when I so I watched this movie back in December, and when we decided we were watching it again for the podcast, that monologue like immediately stood out to me. That's something I remembered like, oh, yeah, that's something in the movie that very clearly stood out from it from the rest. And that that to me is worthy of an Oscar. No, but yeah, I mean, just like going along with uh, Jake, um, this wasn't his he didn't earn he didn't earn his nomination because of one speech, one monologue. And he didn't earn that nom because he died or anything. He earned it because he very like emotionally like portrayed the character very well. I didn't he, hate the character. I like I he's, You hate he, the character of Levy? No, I didn't hate it. Like he's he did a good job. He's definitely yeah. my second best. Yeah, I, just I know, I know. You made better. the point though that it was because of one monologue or something like that. No, I said Throughout, you can't he give him the best actor because of the one monologue. Yeah, and we're, they're not. They didn't. They have But a lot of people will see that monologue and be like, I'll oh, give him the Oscar. Well, it's one okay, monologue. Not everyone will do that. What, is this? what do you I mean everyone will do that? A I lot think of people will do that. do that, but the people actually voting on the awards aren't going to give off. Like they're they're a lot smarter than us. They're not going to give an I'm award. Not saying, I'm not saying there are, but like there's people who are going to watch this movie and say, "Give them the Oscar for one monologue." Like you scroll through Twitter, you're, you'll you'll guarantee you'll find one. You scroll yeah. through Twitter and then retweet it with the Turbo Team podcast account. Yeah. So we okay we move on to other parts of the review. So I think as much as I love Chadwick's performance, I'm gonna review this as my second time watching it it definitely dragged a little bit more than the first time just because although there is kind of a plot twist at the end and somewhat of a thrilling ending the part leading up to that when you already know what happens is not as enjoyable as it was the first time I like so Alex and I were talking about this on Snapchat the other day how how neither of us like musicals but just love La La Land. I liked the music in this movie, but 
it wasn't like enough for me to like really want to rewatch it because it was entirely catchy or impactful for me. So the music the second time through was definitely kind of a drag for me to watch. And that's not a knock on the movie at all. That's probably more just a knock on my general taste in movies. And it, as a play, it was a little harder for me to watch the second time. And if it weren't for like an Oscar deserving performance from Chadwick Boseman, uh, it probably would have been even harder. Yeah. I mean, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, classical, classical jazz and blues from the twenties isn't necessarily something that we as 20 year olds in 2021 gravitate to necessarily an entire century later, but no, uh, I, I could see totally how this would drag totally. Um, because it's very conversational, a lot of the points can be retouched on and a lot of it is just music that's going on during. But I thought that, I mean, as someone who was required to look at this piece multiple times over, I thought it's still ex- it was still excellent. I uh, absolutely loved it um, because there's so many little moments throughout the, well, obviously the play that translate into the film very well. Um, just the discussion of, the place of the black man in America, the exploitation of black artists by um, white companies and management and just the struggle to survive in an uneven system. I mean, you hear that throughout with the very emotionally uh, pognant um, monologues like the aforementioned one that Alex hates. Um, uh, there's also the one that makes you feel good to be a fool. The one that one specific um, it wasn't even a monologue, really. It was just a discussion, which was amazing because the discussions throughout all of this movie, which primarily are discussions, are very interesting and like very introspective and foreshadowing to the later events of the film. But, I mean, um, yeah, Toledo telling Levy how uh, it feels good to be a fool when you're doing it, but then like there's that moment afterwards where you immediately regret it. I mean, that has later implications, but it's so true just in about everything that you do and especially in the precarious and fragile situation that they are in as um, black musicians in the 20s because they are lucky in a sense to be able to do that in a sense. They don't have to be working concrete like they had been saying earlier. They um, had been doing, they, they're in the entertainment business and even though they're treated unfairly and unjustly throughout, um, they saw it almost as um, as a privilege to be able to uh, be able to work in that business and it really came across that way and then there's also the stew monologue like um when you guys had mentioned before and even the preacher monologue where um toledo tells the story i mean cutler tells the story about a preacher who gets like mugged basically and just that interaction that goes on between him and levy after that i feel like that was very emotionally resonant throughout so this movie what i think is very important and prevalent is how real it actually is. Ma Rainey was very well exploited for her music, just as other members of the crew were. This was based off of a true story. And it didn't just happen like it wasn't a one-time spinoff thing. Perhaps the most famous or infamous case of this would have been the song Hound Dog by uh, Big Mama Thornton. That was... It was legally recorded and... um not taken, but re-released by Elvis Presley. And Elvis, of course, is one of the most famous musicians of all time. And this 
this uh, song by 1984 sold over 2 million records and Thornton got one check for $500 as the song was released and never saw another check for it again, despite it being her song. So this is something that happened. I believe this song was released in 1956 is when it was covered by Elvis. So this is something that happened nearly 30 years after the events of this movie. So I think that that's just a really important takeaway that I had from this movie is something that I learned about in my gender race in class and media studies uh, class that I took last semester. So I thought that that was cool isn't the word, but something that I was able to, <laughs> something that I was able to tie from the, the play and the film into real life and something that happened. And it, it really is an important issue that I've never really seen tackled in Hollywood that much. Yeah, because Hollywood's kind of the ones who do it, honestly. For real, you're spitting, Ben. I'm I'm spitting facts, honestly. Alex, what other thoughts did you have? Yeah. I mean, I don't really have a whole lot of thoughts on this movie. I felt at, at its surface, it's very... Tackles some deep topic. Well, not at its surface, obviously, but I think it tap, tackles some deep topics. I think all the performances are really good. I think the idea of having almost just one set the whole time is is really neat and unique in a way. Um, you kind of see it like with like movies like Reservoir Dogs. Um, uh, I'm going to use another Tarantino. The, the only hateful, movie. <laughs> hey, the hateful eight. Yeah. Um, those are the first two that come to mind. We but just these, three these, directors on this podcast. Yeah. Just kind of those scenes where it's like one, uh, you know, one main set the whole time. And it, it really forces the characters and the directors and writers to really come up with this good story of how we can utilize every space of this, you know, building or whatever, and have each character have these whole arcs go through it while also you can tell they're getting a little stir crazy at the same time and interacting with each other. I, I think I, that. Uh, sorry, I, I was just going to harp and say, I think the best movie that utilizes this, at least for half, is Room. I haven't seen it, but I, I, I see you're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it's very unique. I think they did it really well. I think a majority of the, like, if you, if you look at this movie, all the good parts happen in that basement where the band members hang out. You know, all the good parts happen there. The Chadwick Boseman monologue, the the uh, the murder, the uh, the leftovers monologue, like everything. Uh, uh, Chester is not is it Chester? Color, color, color attacking, uh, <laughs> attacking Levy. Um, all, all the main events and good parts we have been in that basement, and that's fucking that's a room the size the size of my room. You know, that's not a very big room. Um, I think I think. They did a very good job of utilizing every space of it. It was very unique. Uh, I, I thought the kind of storyline where the kid has a stutter and he can't do the topic, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. And then he gets in the cords, you know, chewed in, like chewed in half. I thought that was fun. I thought that Brett brought some nice humor to a fairly serious movie, if you think about it. You know, there there wasn't a whole lot of humor in this. It was very, like, it was, it was kind of dark in a way, you know? Like Ma Ma Rainey clearly knowing she's being exploited exploited once she signs on the dotted line and they have the rights to her music, you know they're just gonna they don't want anything to do with her as the person they want to do with her voice and her her talents they don't want they don't care about Ma Rainey they care about what she can do. Um, Chadwick's obviously having this rough upbringing and he he wants to be the serious musician but he can't because you know he's he's the bottom of the pole essentially in this band he's in. Ma Rainey cleared at the top and. All these other musicians have, you know, seniority over him. They're not gonna, you know, let him. He, he's just the, he's thirty three years old in the movie. He's not he's, young. He's right? Tyler Harrow of the yeah, he's Tyler Harrow of the band. 
Yeah, he's not young by any means. He's he's a he's a thirty year old man, but in this case, you know, he's like like they said. There's a quote. There's like uh, Color says, you know, I've been playing music longer than you've been alive. You know, and that's probably the truth. You know, so it's very it was very a lot of things going on. I think it really really worked. Um, and like I said before, like the way it was framed and created as as this play on film. I didn't see the Hamilton movie. I'm not going to watch the Hamilton movie. But I assume it's kind of framed the same way. I bet that one's very much more like a play. You know, the only two plays. Be, I think I bet that's a lot more like a play that just happens to be recorded. This is where it's really, you know, set up like a play. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good things in this movie. A lot, a lot of good things. Just, I guess it didn't hit for me. I liked a lot of it. Uh, I'll get into my negatives later. My negatives are very, they're not even really nitpicky, but they're definitely stuff that kind of, I think, takes away from the viewing experience a little bit. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a very, very solid film. Viola Davis and, uh, and uh, Chadwick, very, very deserving of their nominations. Um, and in a down year, Viola Davis would probably get Best Lead Actress. You know, I thought she was really good in this. There just so happens with Chris McDormand and Nomadland, and I forgot the lady that was nominated for Billie Holiday. Haven't seen it, but I, I, I've heard nothing but good things. So Andrea Day. Andrea Day. And even Carrie Mulligan and Promising Young Women. You know, I, There's a lot of good female performances this year. Um, and, and like I said, in a down year, I think Viola Davis would get it. And I think in most years, Chadwick Boseman would get it. Obviously, I think Riz Ahmed was better this year, but you know, two very, very good performances. Um, and it, it makes the movie very, very watchable, you know even if it's not kind of your cup of tea for some reason, like just watching these two excel at the top of their craft is so fun to watch. So very, very good movie. I really enjoyed it. Also, it was a minute 30. Perfect timing for this movie. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't want to watch minute anything. 30. That's all the time I have Shut for up. watching. Hour 30. Movies. Hour took 30. A drink, took a drink of water and missed half the film. Yeah. <laughs> Blinked and it was over. <laughs> but I thought, uh, no, I thought but... it was a good run, run length to this movie. Very, uh, they definitely didn't try to put more in front of you that they needed to. I, I thought it was very good runtime. There's definitely so much to read into this movie, mostly because I had to, literally. But um, when it was transferred over from the play to the film, originally the play was taking place during the winter and it was a bitter Chicago winter. But the fact that they changed it over to summer is also significant because they're also able to utilize different elements. I mean, before they showed how... Um, um, the management was super stingy about heat or like, but in this case they weren't, they were super stingy about cooling and like keeping the room cool for mom because it was sweltering and they wanted to pinch as much money as they could. And they didn't yeah. even want to get the Cokes that she asked for because they wanted to pinch as much money as, they, as she could. Yeah, Everybody and, was so sweaty in this movie. Just yeah. Because everybody. <laughs> that's because uh, they were under immense pressure. I mean, all of the uh, black people in the film are under immense pressure constantly whether it's the musicians under stress of losing their uh, livelihood um, and being a supporting uh, act as a band, or it's the sh uh, different cuts that they show of um, citizens around Chicago who are just um, sitting under the sweltering heat and just having an absolute like, um, sorrowful face the entire time because they're having to work at this grind for the longest time in a world where they're not really um, given the same rights that they usually are or that they should be given. And I think like the heat is an, a very visual aspect to display pressure. Um, I loved the um, new scene that they added where uh, Levy wants to break down that door that he swore had never been there before. 
And as soon as he realizes that Dora was there, I mean, he's also in a situation where he's beginning to think that he may be to be able to be his own band leader. So he begins to think that, wow, I have this new opportunity coming for me. And then like, that's where he notices the new door. He's like, Hey, what's in there? And he's like super persistent and wanting to know what's behind it and asking about it. And everyone's just like, leave it alone, dude. It's fine. But once he loses that, once he isn't, once he loses the chance to become his own band leader and make something of himself, um, that door is closed. And in a fit of rage, he bursts it open only to find like a sweltering hit of, um, a sweltering pit of despair, like that just encircled in cement. And like, that's all he has to look forward to outside of the door that he thought would have been his new opportunity. And also just small things like, um, uh, just like short little camera shots that would show the fan be like super weak and like not even rotating. So like they don't even get like a proper fan to cool them down or uh, relieve them of the pressure or like even a small thing like uh, the window at the top of one of the walls um, is even with the street and you can see people's feet walking by on the street. So it's almost as if they're below the feet of everyday other people and being in this like dark hot basement. So, yeah, I mean, it's just tons of small stuff that I was forced to read into, but I really enjoyed from it. I did think there's a lot of good shots in this movie. Um, if you really pay attention, there's a lot of good, um, like there's one where Levy's or, uh, colors telling a story and, uh, Chadwick's out in the hallway and, you know, Chadwick goes up to listen and it focuses, uh, uh, unfocuses on Levy and focuses on Chadwick. It's a lot of cool shots like that. Um, I thought were utilized very well. Uh, you guys got anything, you guys got anything else you want to get into negatives? I think I've shared everything that I, I was planning on sharing. Including, I think my primary negative was just watching a play a second time is a little harder. But as Alex said, the performances by Chadwick and the performance by Viola Davis definitely made it watchable the second time through, even though it wasn't the most enjoyable film experience I've ever had. Now, uh, especially uh, uh, Coleman Domingo, who killed it, um, is an actor from Euphoria. I don't know if you noticed that, Alex. Who does he play? He plays like the AA. He plays Ruse. Oh, yeah. Was it like Muhammad or something like that? His name's it's not, a, I don't It's, it's not very, Muhammad. It's a, it's a, yeah. He played but, Color, didn't he? Yeah, he played Color. Yeah, I don't that's know. what you also, also didn't watch the hour-long uh, conversation Euphoria episode, did you? I know who you're talking about. He had a, he had a kind of a, I think he had a kind of a Muslim name. Um, I could be wrong. Abraham? Maybe. I'll look it up. I don't know. But yeah, anyway, he's uh, he's really good, and I love seeing him. This uh, he did amazing when they began to get in that fight, and he honestly looked terrified for his life. And when he went at Levy with so much rage and passion that you really felt it. Um, that yeah, all the performances were really good. But if we're gonna get into negatives, I guess I'll start with saying one uh, performance that kind of fell flat for me, and that was the actor who played Toledo. Um, I thought that like the character of Toledo would be like someone who is very wise and well-spoken, but also gets caught up in their own head with thinking of very complicated answers for simple problems. In a sense, they see the bigger picture, but they kind of get lost in what they think is their own bravado. And uh, Glenn Turman, who played Toledo, did a good job. I thought that like it was a good performance, but personally, it just felt a little lacking for what I had been built up to as an, a very interesting character in the play um, on paper. But then when it came to, I was just a little fell flat, I guess. His eyes were so bloodshot the entire time. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's the guy from, uh, 
or maybe it's Michael Potts. I don't know. One of them is the guy from The Wire. I think it's Michael Potts. The guy from The Wire was like, she is one of those. <laughs> Slow try. I think it's Michael Potts. Uh, so my negatives, I said earlier, I wanted to, I want to say it didn't take away from the film, but it honestly kind of did. Um, there is a lot of, lot of production errors in this movie. A lot. Uh, okay. A lot of shots were like, they're just completely out of focus. There's one shot where there's during Chadwick's monologue where it shows it's focusing on Chadwick and then it's the cameras behind, I think it's Toledo and uh, Cutler. And then the camera just goes out of focus for like two seconds. And it does that a lot where they're focusing and just camera just goes out of focus or like there's a whole shots where it's just out of focus. Um, The scenes where they're showing the cars on the street a lot, like some of the cars look just really badly CGI'd for some reason, obviously the budget was $25 million. You figured they could afford that, you know, especially if it should be nominated for production design, I guess not. Uh, also like there are times where the dubbing was really bad, especially when Ma Rainey was singing, when she was singing, the dubbing was horrendous. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys noticed right. that, but go back and watch it. It's really, really bad. Um, Ma Rainey dubbed over with spaces in between the words. Yeah. So there's just, there's a there's a couple other production things that I can't remember, but like there was a lot a lot of just post production things that were just weren't good, and it it took I'll be honest, it did take away from the film in a way because this is a twenty five million dollar budget film, two of the best actors of the year, and you were expecting this to be nominated for best picture. Well, here's all these little things that you could fix, like this scene, like this scene of Chadwick in the almost the climax of the movie, and you got a shot that just goes out of focus in the middle of it. Like, come on, like. It's just stuff that, like, it shouldn't, like, a big budget film like this, it shouldn't happen. And it, it really annoyed me and bothered me. Um, it didn't, like, ruin the film for me, but they did kind of make me, like, yeah, this isn't a perfect film. Um, I, I liked it. It's just, I don't, I don't know. There's something about it that I can't, like, yeah, I think I've said all I needed to say about it. You know, there's not a whole lot you could talk about unless you really want to go deep into the history um, like Ben has for class or whatever. So that, that's about it as I have for negatives. Um, you guys have anything else? I think I've, I, I think I've shared all that I want to. Do you guys want to have a favorite scene? Mine's the monologue. I, I don't even think it's close. It, it is one of the best five minute scenes of any film that I've seen this year. I think I'd place it second behind, uh, Sasha's character in uh gosh, what's his name? Is it Augie? Uh <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah. Hit Sasha Barry Cohen's character in Trial of Chicago Seven taking the witness stand. I think Chadwick's monologue is my second favorite scene of this of the year behind that. Wow, he's going there, everybody. Uh the euphoric character's name's Ali. I did not I do not know why. Oh, that's that explains why I thought it was Muhammad. Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just, just the listeners. Just my my know. my favorite scenes the uh, the leftovers monologue right after Chadwick's monologue. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was incredible. I thought Toledo did a really good job. Uh, yeah. Ben, do you have one? Uh, yeah, mine's the. <laughs> we're just going off monologues. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, the whole preacher dynamic when, um, Cutler told that story about the preacher being assaulted, and then he and Levy immediately get into it. I feel like both those actors really gave it their all and it really shows. And I thought it was amazing. I was in awe watching it. So do we want to get into our ratings? Sure. 
I think I'm going to hit it with my classic 7.65. I thought it was... Uh, I'd probably put it at a 7.95 on my first viewing, but second viewing, I'll bump it down three decimal places to 7.65. Incredible, incredible performances. Impactful story. But as I've already said, in a non-personal way or not really even a non-critical way, uh, just not my cup of tea. So most movies like this would probably be lower for me. So I guess it speaks magnitudes to the performances in the film. All right. I mean, I mean, hey, hey, take that back about the second viewing rating. You, we only go off of first viewing ratings here. We'll we'll cut that in the middle. All right. Is that a new rule? I mean, it makes sense. It's a, so, I, I don't care. I was doing. Middle, it, I was doing it. It was not. It's not important. In the middle, uh, seven point <laughs> seven point eight two. I think. I don't care. Yeah, okay. All right, Alex, was, your ra- what's your rating? Uh, I'm going to go seven and a half. Uh, I think I've talked everything I can about the movie. It was solid. I, it, no, I'll give it an eight. I liked it a little more than I'm, I'm giving it credit for. Um, I, I, I've already said everything I want. There's some glaring flaws that kind of took away from it. There was a lot of good positives. Um, a very solid film. I think there's better, but really, really solid. I think... Like I said before, there definitely is an audience for this that's just going to absolutely love it, you know. So. Ben? Uh, yep. No, uh, for what of unlike Jake with his 7.65, uh, the more I read into it or more the f- more I was forced to read into it, the more I took from it and really enjoyed this film from after reading the play multiple times over to having to watch the film actually for the first time and then revisiting it for the podcast. I really enjoyed it. I mean, amazing performances, lots of context to read into, a very timely story, unfortunately. And I thought it's, yeah, amazing, really translated well. Um, I'm going to be giving it an 8 out of 10. Well, that is going to do it for our review of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. We are eight films out of nine for having all nine Oscar Best Picture nominations reviewed. And next week, we're going to knock off that. But Ma Rainey's definitely, I guess, this wasn't nominated. Duh, I'm an idiot. Uh, yeah, they look stupid in front of everybody. I, oh, now you have to edit it and upload it, moron. Now, now you just embarrass yourself. How Barry. would it feel looking, listening back to that? Okay, Guy, guys, I palmed the dip. That's my bad. <laughs> Big palm uh, the dip. But anyways, we're gonna get into a segment that after hours and hours of arguing in our group chat all day, Ben came up with this. So Ben, do you want to explain? Our final segment of the night. Okay. Hopefully everyone will be receptive to this idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, in honor know. of the trade deadline day of the NBA, um, I thought it'd be fun if we, uh, if one of us would take a film and a character from that film and replace the actor that plays that character with a different actor. Uh, one In one instance, for a serious uh, benefit, maybe he'd bring, they'd bring something new to the role. Or for a funny way, because it'd be ironic to see them playing that character. I so, thought we were doing two, one funny, one serious. I said, I said, like both. Oh, okay. Whatever. <laughs> but so, yeah, um, for so example, for example, for example, uh, Michael Sarah playing Shaft, that would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> and also, for example, I saw that uh, Always Sunny star Glenn Howerton was second. Um, uh, was the second option to play uh, Star Lord and Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. And like, I thought that would have been interesting. So yeah, because of those two things on my mind, because Michael Sarah's Shaft is always on my mind. Glenn um, that's what we'll be going Shaft. over. 
So I can start off with my movie first. Uh, friend of the program, Gone Girl. Great what? movie directed by <laughs> David Fincher. And we are going to do the, I guess, secondary, one of the main characters, Nick Dunn, played by Ben Affleck, and he's going to have to be replaced by someone. So we'll hand it off to Ben first because he probably understands the game better than Alex. So Ben, who is your serious actor that could add something to Nick Dunn's role? Yeah, I'm deep in this game. No, um, who I thought would be good for Nick Dunn, uh, I thought would be Lakeith Stanfield. I think that'd be so cool, honestly, because he's able to show the, I don't know, confused, I don't know, off, like way out of uh, off his balance um, sort of performances like you'd see in Sorry to Bother You or maybe even Uncaged like he is in Get Out in a sense. But he's also can be an absolute goof in like literally almost any other role he's taken besides those. And I feel like he'd be able to play both of those roles really well. Maybe not he's out, maybe he's not an alcoholic, but he's like a stoner or something like that. But I feel like he could like really bring an interesting dynamic to that role and it'd be something that I'd really be wanting to see. Yeah, I could see him getting a really bad back tattoo for the role. <laughs> it's not necessary. That? That's just it's so bad. Of it's, it's the worst tattoo I've ever seen. Yeah, it's gotta be <laughs> But yeah, I, I didn't even think of Lakeith when I brought that role up. That's really cool. Who's I guess Alex will go to you for your serious one. Uh, I Ben's picks better than mine. I didn't even think about that. Uh, it was pretty basic. I think John Hall would do a really good job. Just he has history with David Fincher. He's a very uh, rangy actor. I think he can really. I thought Ben Affleck was really good. In it. I thought he was the perfect casting. I think John Hall would have been a good uh, second choice. But Affleck passed. Um, that's mine. I, I agree that Affleck is still the perfect role for that. <laughs> yeah, pretty lame. Did you see He's an did you absolute ever, schlub who's been in the eye of the media for so long? Did you ever see why he casted it? Why Fincher casted Affleck? Well, yeah, because he like uh, Affleck went through this whole ordeal when he divorced Jennifer Gardner or something like that, right? No, it was like because, the media like crucified him for that. It was because the scene where he gives the press conference and then they ask him to like take a picture with it and he smiles. He said Ben Affleck's smile was the exact smile he had envisioned for that scene, and he couldn't imagine anyone else besides Affleck playing it. <laughs> also, just like, that, the, just like that smug idiot, I don't yes, know what's happening. Yes, <laughs> that's very unselfaware. movie. Also, also the whole part where the set where shot the shot the shooting was shut down for four days because Fincher wanted um ben affleck to wear a yankees cap and he refused to because he's a boston red sox fan and they fought for four days threatening to shut down the whole movie because they, he couldn't put on a yankees cap because he said he'd, he'd ruin his public image and he'd get made fun of for years because of it so they settled on a new york mets cap so ben who is your funny actor that you would have to play the role Admittingly, this is my worst uh, choice out of the four that I'm going to have, but I thought it'd be really stupid to see Rob Schneider play Nick Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just imagining him like not even like him being like a goof, like just Rob Schneider. What if he like actually like tried to be serious? Like what if this was going to be his uh, Breaking Bad? Like he turned from comedy to drama. Oh, and he no, tries to be serious, but you just can't take him seriously whatsoever, even though he's trying his hardest. Oh, no, my wife is gone again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, this girl is gone. Okay, that's good. <laughs> when that's he's sad. having the affair with, uh, with the student, and then no, his sister confronts him about it, and he's just like, wait, what, what's even like the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> 
What? Yeah, of course I'd want to hide that. What? <laughs> no, he plays the character from the Water Boy, but like the only, but like it's just the accent. He just keeps the accent. Like he's he says words normal. He just has a really bad. I don't know what's that supposed to be like a Mexican accent. It's Louisiana. And it's like a Creole accent. I didn't oh, sound no. like that at all. It's like again. <laughs> Whatever. Right, now, okay. Alex, what's your twenty one? Uh, I think Kevin Hart would be really funny. <laughs> <laughs> And, and like what? And what Kevin Hart capacity? Kevin Hart like uh, um, stand up special slash action movie or Kevin Hart uh, Nissan commercial following his daughter? No, so Ben Affleck's like six two, six three, and Kevin Hart's like five six. So I think if they literally just shoot the film the exact same as if Kevin Hart was six three and re- and re- and recast. Recast Amy Dunn as uh, Gina Carano. No, keep everybody the same except Kevin Hart plays Ben Affleck, and they shoot the exact same. So, like half of this, like there's just a ton of like blank space above his head because he's like almost a foot shorter than Ben Affleck. No, it'd be oh funny God. if it'd be funny if Amy Dunn was played by Gina Carano, former uh, UFC fighter. And so, then, and then the oh, and then the perfect conversation. Like, all, right, all, right, all right, all right, listen up, listen up. All right, so my wife, she's missing. You know, and it's just the very is Kevin Hart isms. As We're really a, summarizing the movie very well, right? Yeah, now. As, I've seen Gone Girl. As someone who does a lot of like interviews for TV and proper framing, it would be so funny to imagine when Nick Dunn goes on air and is like, "Amy, come back. We love him. We love you." But there's like three feet of headspace above. Him. <laughs> or, or it's that, or it's that, or it's that. It's that uh, dolly zoom or whatever when uh, he discovers all of the stuff in the shed that she bought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like a dolly zoom where he's super serious, but it's just three feet of space <laughs> above, above him. So you head. just see his heads on his hands on top of his head. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, you just see the top of his eyes. <laughs> so, Ben, do you want to take us to your movie? Uh, yeah, I thought it'd be funny to mix it up. No, okay, not mixing it up at all. Um, we all we all know him. We all love him. Uh, it's um, it's Jonah Hill from Superbad. So I wanted to hear your guys' uh, takes on who would be a funny and who would be a serious replacement for Seth, the character of Seth from Superbad. Jake, do you want to do yours first or me too? Yeah, I can take it away. All for right. my serious one, I did a young Danny DeVito. I think that's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> and actually like, kind of fitting because I was thinking of short bad actors that kind of play the role of just like getting made fun of but also being just like a major douche in, at the same time so I thought Danny DeVito could portray that role and also add like an even more I don't know what the word is more of a absurdity yeah absurdity kind of victimized type role to the movie uh, but yeah my my serious ones aren't aren't as good as my funny ones so Alex who's your serious one uh, I think Danny McBride would be really funny in this. Um, As like like uh, what was Jonah Hill like? Nineteen year old. Yeah, I, Danny I, I think Danny McBride's character kind of like Jonah Hill's in has been in Hollywood for a long time. I I think Danny McBride's character uh, career started a little later, so I don't. But I think just their careers are very so. Young Jonah Hill's career is very similar to Danny McBride's, where they are kind of just the out, outlandish, you know, bigger guy in Hollywood. I think yeah, I think he do a really funny job. Yeah, I feel like he could like put his own uh, "this is the end" uh, type of snarking quipbacks spin yeah. on in the character. Yeah, this is okay. a pro Dan McBride podcast. I love Dan McBride. <laughs> okay, uh, Jake, Jake, what is your comedy one? Oh boy! All right, y- you all know him. Y'all hate him. Jesse Plemons. <laughs> what? <laughs> Jake hates Jesse Plemons. <laughs> uh, imagine 
<laughs> Jesse Plemons playing this role with absolutely no emotion, just being like, "Hey, I gotta, I gotta get, I gotta get an eye on these warlocks." Yeah, my, <laughs> the funny thing about my back, and then he just doesn't finish the joke because it's Jesse Plemons. I, I think be super funny if there was absolutely no emotion for that's character in this movie. Or, or like he's at the party and he's about to get in a fight, and then he's just like, "Nah, I, I don't want to fight." And then he just like ends up with Emma Stone either way. <laughs> I thought that would be funny in my head. I don't know if it actually is. But actually, that is kind of... I, I want to see that. Like, they only do one take, though, so he always looks behind the scenes at the crew very confused, <laughs> and they just keep that cut. <laughs> doesn't understand... It, it'd be best to have this role as he showed up. Like, Jonah Hill was... It was written for Jonah Hill, but he showed up that day, and they were just like, alright, we got like we got two days of cameras to film this. So we're doing it all. So he would read the lines, go right at it. And then just like, have no idea what was going on. So it seemed like he was confused and then played the role just completely emotionless. That would just add to the already existing Jesse Plemons confusion. Take a, sh- take a shot. Every time Jake mentions anything having to do with Jesse Plemons, <laughs> you won't get drunk because you'd have to come through hours and hours of the turbo team podcast, but there'd be some fun moments. All right, Alex, who's your funny one? Uh, modern day Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we broke the age gap in there, but yes, that'd be amazing. <laughs> no, no, this isn't period blood on my pants. I just pressed myself. <laughs> what's uh, what's Michael Sarah, Michael Sarah's character's name? Uh, Evan. Uh, Evan. <laughs> Evan. Jules, Jules wants us to get alcohol for our party. She wants her dick in and around her mouth. <laughs> I, will be the, I will be the chef of Pound and Farge. McLovin, make sure you get the Kyle's Killer Lemonade. Dude, and then why you hit me with your car? And then you get an eye on these 22 year old Emma Stone at the end of the movie. <laughs> I was thinking of that for uh, Danny DeVito. Yeah. <laughs> Still gets Emma Stone at the end. <laughs> Evan, uh, what do you mean you and McLovin, you and Fogel are rooming at Dartmouth? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were supposed to be friends forever, man. <laughs> All right, that's, that's that's a lot better than Jesse Plemons. But he's, uh, I, I like them both. I like them both equally. <laughs> what do you, what do you I like, I like child. I like, I like 19-year-old Jesse Plemons, too. That, that's pretty solid. Nineteen-year-old uh, Jesse Plemons was just—it's just Jesse Plemons in Friday Night Lights. There you go, problem solved. Completely Alex, what's your what's your <laughs> yeah? What's your pick, Alex, for a movie? Oh, what the fuck am I just supposed to eat alone like Steven Glansberg? Uh, <laughs> my uh, so my movie's The Godfather. Um, solid movie, I think. I think you can do a lot with it. Uh, <laughs> look how they massacre my boy. Uh, <laughs> you just you just had to say it. <laughs> I had to say it. Not Michael Corleone, Vito Corleone, but uh. Yeah, so today Ben and Jake will be replacing uh, Michael Corleone, uh, played by uh, Al. Uh, I-, I can't do an Al Pacino impression. Dunkachino. Dunkachino from Jack and Bill. I was in Al Pacino. It's like uh, you talking to me. It's very angry and like gravelly. Um, uh, yeah, so Al Pacino. Yeah, you went there. So, I'm I'm good at one, I went with Frank Vincent. Plays Billy Batson. Goodfellas and plays a. Uh, Another guy in Casino. I can't remember. What, what and is he's in The Sopranos. Watch The Sopranos. This is Alex Jaylor uh, and Andrew to watch The Sopranos. But yeah, I thought he plays a very like 
not in Goodfellas, but in Casino, he plays a very good kind of serious condescending role, which I think is a lot of what Al Pacino plays in this film. I think he could add a, a different acts, a different angle to it. But for the most part, I was really just looking at gangster actors that I think could do a good job in this. I, I didn't really. This was the one that I struggled with going into the show. How many Italians are there in Hollywood to choose from? <laughs> Too many. Exactly. Uh, rest in peace, Frank Vincent. He died a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, d- I looked outside of that. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> when I thought of genealogy, it didn't make a whole lot of sense, but I still like the actor I chose. Um, sort of going with the Judas and the Black Messiah theme, I thought that Daniel Kalula would make a good Michael Ooh. Corleone. I don't know if you guys have seen Widows, but he is scary intimidating in that film. Like he He's is Black Panther. He's terrifying in that too. <laughs> I'm scared of when he and the other guy stop becoming friends and they disagree. <laughs> he, 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 he he changes teams. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's like he's scary in Widows. He's so intimidating, only with a stare. And I feel like that's sort of the vibe that Michael Corleone can sort of give off at mm-hmm. the end, just very cold while still being that personable uh, guy at the beginning of the film that Michael sort of is. He could really shift into both of those roles all within one movie, and I feel like that'd be good. Recast like you know, really and The Godfather, but everybody else remains the same. Yes, I said what I said. Just a black Italian man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, freaking uh, Matt Damon was adopted by uh, Jack Nicholson in The Departed. It's like that. Yeah, but he was Irish. Yeah, and uh, whatever. Matt Damon's it's like not, the, Matt Damon's like the same Italian. thing. <laughs> All right, so, anyway. What are you guys' just comedy picks? Okay, th- this is my best one. Uh, Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> Why is that funny? <laughs> you gotta nail these scumbags. You just picked another Italian, man. <laughs> no, I was just thinking as... Like every single Mark Ruffalo role, everyone knows the joke is like, we just got to nail these scumbags. And he's, it always seems like he's sweating no matter what's going on. He is very, and, he's a very sweaty man. That is the exact opposite of Michael Carleone's character. As Ben said, he's, he's cruel, but he's also cool at the same time. Like it, it feels like he's, he's got everything under control. Kind of like, uh, Paul Vano from Goodfellas just always, he's always got everyone under control, but he's terrifying. And Mark Ruffalo just always seems like he's scrambling for something. Like he's just, He's just a nut job. And I thought that that would be a very funny dynamic as like he's got obviously the entire mob coming after him and he's got his entire mob going up against other people, but he's more sporadic and out of control than everyone else is, which is the exact opposite of the character. We gotta <laughs> nail these scumbags. Yeah. <laughs> they, they killed my brother, Sonny. Uh, I gotta <laughs> nail the scumbag. Fr- uh, was Fredo? Funny, was it? Not the brother Fredo. Fredo was the brother. No, Fredo was, was the one. Fredo was the one they killed at the end of the second one. No, Fredo I meant like, I meant the, I want the one who died. Well, thanks for spoiling the second one. Uh, uh, I, I meant the. Uh, yeah, no, I need to get on that. No, I just meant the brother who died in the first one. Whatever. Uh, I don't know. I think Robert Duvall plays him though. All right, Ben. What's Whatever. Your funny one. Who cares? Um, my funny one. Uh, I'd love to see a uh, Matt LeBlanc play Michael. Corleone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. I mean, how amazing would that be, everybody? <laughs> 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 you 
you got you got Joey from Friends, the Godfather. <laughs> no, modern day Matt LeBlanc, where he's like fat. <laughs> oh yeah, from uh, what's it, the neighborhood or something? No, it's not the neighborhood. It's like uh, I don't know what the plan. But man with a plan, yeah. <laughs> Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> I feel like Matt LeBlanc would kill it, dude. Kind of the opposite of my serious pick. I mean, I feel like he'd sort of fit in. Because um, you, you picked an actual Italian man. For... Yeah. <laughs> but then it also just... Be... <laughs> It'd be so bad. I was, uh, for a second, I thought David Schwimmer. But then I was like, no, he actually did somewhat of a serious role. Yeah, he was, so was in like, that OJ doc. Yeah, and he was also in Band of Brothers. So yeah. I was like, oh, I guess I got to pick <laughs> the Damn people's it, choice, Matt LeBlanc. Se- Damn it, he could actually do serious roles. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. <laughs> yeah. But no. <laughs> Shit, David Schwimmer's a good actor. I can't pick him. No, just like, you know, like that gif. Um, uh, um, shout out. Uh, former roommate of the podcast max cleveland i haven't watched actually friends but have you seen that gif where like um joey like just makes his eyes super wide yeah oh yeah to everything in this movie <laughs> it's like dude they killed they killed your brother and it just cuts to the scene of him just <laughs> uh so it's like dude my italian wife died him just sitting in front of the car <laughs> <laughs> anyway that would suck so that's going to do it for this week's episode of the turbo team podcast as always want to thank you for listening follow us on all socials twitter instagram snapchat and what have you but next week we'll be back with our review of the father and we want to thank you for tuning in we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the turbo team podcast our social medias are linked in the bio Follow us on Twitter at the Turbo Team Pod. You can listen to all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform where podcasts are listened to. Thank you for listening.